Create your own vision for your life instead of letting others limit you. Lessons from Cyrus. Welcome to Brothers of the Word, because brother, you need the word. And we're just coming out of an election season in this country to elect the highest position in the land. And I thought it would be fitting today to speak about one of the greatest political leaders in the entire Bible. And it's probably not the leader who you think it is or one that you may even be very familiar with. You're probably thinking I'm going to talk about King David, as great as he was, or King Solomon, or maybe even Moses. The leader I'm going to speak about today that's talked about in the Bible, he has a book about him that most graduate business schools would have their students to read as required reading. And his book was studied by Thomas Jefferson. It was studied by Benjamin Franklin. It was studied by Julius Caesar. It was studied by Alexander the Great. It was studied by Machiavelli, among others. All of these great leaders studied this man's book that was talked about in the Bible. And I was reading an interview with a guy named Peter Drucker, who is considered the pioneer of modern business management over the last century or so. He's written more and, and is the, the leading mind on business thinking. And in the interview, they asked Mr. Drucker, they said that you've taught us so much about business and all of these Fortune 500 companies that have come been because of your training And they said that where did you get your training? Who or what is the greatest source of leadership inspiration that you've ever come across? And Mr. Drucker said the best book on leadership that he's ever read or the best teacher was the biography of a man called Cyrus the Great. The greatest business writer said the greatest teacher of leadership was a leader from the Bible. And as we prepare for a change in leadership in this nation, I speak to you today from the subject of lessons from Cyrus. Lessons from Cyrus. And I read the whole book. It was called Xenophon's Cyrus the Great, The Arts of Leadership in War. And I agree with Peter Drucker that it's the best book on leadership that I have ever read. And one advantage that Cyrus has for us in modern times versus kings that are great like David and Solomon is we only have part of those kings stories in the Bible but with Cyrus we have a complete manual both in the Bible and outside of the Bible on the way he thought how he was brought up all of his strategies and how he went about conquering nations and how he lived his life and just everything that went into making him So great. So it has an advantage of having a complete separate book about his life and his mentality. And his leadership lessons will help you in whatever leadership roles you may find yourself in in life. Whether it's leading your household, whether it's leading a classroom as a teacher, whether it's 
leading a department on your job or leading a business or leading some form of organization in your community or even leading something in the church. And before I give you the lessons from his life, I need to explain a little bit of who King Cyrus or Cyrus the Great, as as he was called, who he really was, because many of you may have read little snippets in the Bible about him, or you may have just heard his name in passing, but most of you, I would imagine, really don't know what he did and who he was and why he was considered so great. Cyrus, he lived 600 B.C. to 530 B.C., and during his reign, he created the largest empire, which was the Persian Empire, that the world had ever seen at that point. And it consisted of most of the Middle East and Western and Central Asia. And his conquests included Babylon. So once he conquered Babylon, the nation that had the Jews in captivity, then those Jews became subject unto King Cyrus. And King Cyrus had 40,000 exiled Jews that were under his dominion, and he had the power to set them free, in which he did. Cyrus's son went on to conquer Egypt, adding to the empire that went all over that part of the world. And Babylon and Egypt were two of the nations that hailed God's children captive. And Cyrus and his son conquered them both. Lesson number one from Cyrus is Cyrus was anointed by God for leadership. And I'll be reading Isaiah chapter 45 verses 1 through 7 and also verse 13 from the New Living Translation. Keep in mind when you're hearing this passage from Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah wrote this passage approximately 100 to 150 years before Cyrus was even born. And it touched Cyrus's heart after he conquered Babylon and he learned of these writings of Isaiah. He realized that God was in control of his destiny and all that he had done and was doing. And we're all familiar with Daniel from the lion's den. Well, Daniel, his last year in office was King Cyrus's first year reigning. And Daniel was Cyrus's chief advisor. So Daniel was able to come to King Cyrus and say, King, you're not familiar with our customs and our prophets and our people, because he was not a Jew. But he said, one of our great prophets spoke and wrote about you before you were born, before your parents were born. And it got the king's ear. And this is what was relayed unto Cyrus in Isaiah 45, starting at verse 1. Keep in mind that this is over a hundred years before he was born. This was written. Verse 1. This is what the Lord says to Cyrus. Called him by name. His anointed one. Whose right hand he will empower. Now the Hebrew word here for his anointed one. This is the same word that is used throughout scripture for Messiah. In Hebrew it's the same word as Messiah. It's a term that was used in the Bible not only talking about Jesus, but it also talked about God's anointed kings like David. This same word was used. Cyrus is the only figure in the Bible from cover to cover that this word is used on that was not a Jew. 
So he's the only non-Jew that had this type of anointing that this word Messiah was used. And continuing, it says, Before him, mighty kings will be paralyzed with fear. Their fortress gates will be opened, never to shut again. This is what the Lord says. I will go before you, Cyrus, and level the mountains. I will smash down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. And I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. And why have I called you for this work? Why did I call you by name when you not even know me? It is for the sake of Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. I am the Lord. There is no other God. I have equipped you for battle. Though you don't even know me, so all the world from east to west will know there is no other God. I am the Lord and there is no other. I create the light and make the darkness. I send good and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. Skipping to verse 13, it says, I will raise up Cyrus to fulfill my righteous purpose. And I will guide his actions. He will restore my city and free my captive people without seeking a reward. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. And that God calls Cyrus by name, even before his parents was born, was very rare throughout all of scripture. And I searched and I could only find one other case from Genesis to Revelation. And that was in the case of King Josiah, that God called them by name and a prophecy before even their parents were born. Now Jesus, he had a ton of prophecies and things that were spoken about him from all of the prophets, but they just described him. And when they did call him by name, they used Emmanuel. So that's one reason why when Jesus came, they had a hard time recognizing him as the scribes and Pharisees. But you can imagine that these prophets had called and said his name shall be Jesus and then talked about all that he did. And if he mentioned Jesus over and over, he would have been quick to recognize him once he came on the scene and began to do these miracles. But he called Cyrus by name over a hundred years before he was even born. You heard what Isaiah said about him. Next Let me read from the Bible what Ezra, the scribe and priest, said about Cyrus. This is from the New Living Translation, starting in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. It reads, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem. 
And may your God be with you. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey, and livestock, as well as a voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then God stirred the hearts of the priests and Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And all their neighbors assisted by giving them articles of silver and gold, supplies for the journey, and livestock. They gave them many valuable gifts in addition to all the voluntary offerings. Then it says, King Cyrus himself brought out the articles that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the Lord's temple in Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his own gods. And something about that verse struck me. And it says that now Cyrus, so once he took over Babylon, it says that he sent this proclamation, he wrote it out and sent it out. This basically, as Moses said, let my people go, that they may be able to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild God's temple. And he told all of the surrounding nations to give them gold and silver and all of these supplies so they would have them material to rebuild the temple. So he told all of them to give them this, but when he got to what he was going to give them, it said that King Cyrus himself brought out the articles that the other king Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the Lord's temple. Now, I don't know if it means he went in by hand and brought out everything, or if it means if he just gave the order. But it just struck me as I read it that because he read this prophecy that called him by name over a hundred years before he was born, that he knew that God had anointed him to set his people free and send them back to rebuild his own house. He knew that he was born for a purpose. And when it got time in his first year of his reign, when the prophet Daniel came and showed him these scriptures and prophecies and said, you're written in the very prophecies of God, that he saw you before you were born. He saw you before your mom and daddy were thought about. God saw you. He knew you by name. He appointed you for this work to set his children free. And because it gripped Cyrus so much, he didn't allow it to other men. He went in and brought out everything that they'd stolen from God's house and said, take it back and put it back in his house. And he did it himself. Cyrus then directed Mithrath, the treasurer of Persia, to count these items and present them to Sheshbazar, the leader of the exiles returning to Judah. This is a list of the items that were returned. 30 gold basins, 1,000 silver basins, 29 silver incense burners, 30 gold bowls, 410 silver bowls, 1,000 other items. In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver. Sheshbazar brought all of these along when the exiles went from Babylon to Jerusalem. And Cyrus, king of Persia, commanded the Jews who were in Babylon captivity to return and to rebuild God's temple. 
that Solomon originally built. Not only did he release them, but he provided all of the resources for them to take with them. And I ask you today, what has God anointed you for? He anointed Cyrus to set his people free, to rebuild the temple. What has he anointed you for? He didn't anoint you just to feel his presence in church. He didn't anoint you just to shout in church or to shake or to cry or to fall out or to feel good. He anointed you for purpose. What have you been called by name for? He knows your name. God has purpose each child of his for a specific purpose. He knows you by name and knows what he put inside of you. He knows every gift, talent. He knows more than you know. See, you know sometimes just what you can do right now. But God knows what you're capable of. He knows your potential in the future. And my mother, in all of her years of living, the time when she's heard God the clearest and the loudest, was she was in her bedroom and God spoke to her in this booming voice and said, what have you done with the talents that I have given you? And we're all one day will have to answer that question. We're all are given different things. He's not going to hold you accountable for what he gave your neighbor, your brother, your sister. But you will be accountable for what he's anointed you to do, that which he's placed in you. Lesson number two from Cyrus is be prepared and execute. My son John, last Sunday, he wore a shirt that I saw, and it was by one of his friends, and it had five P's on it. The five P's were proper preparation prevents poor performance. And those were great five P's that they were making there for those shirts. And it just, I saw in Cyrus that he used those five P's. And this is a quote from Cyrus. It says, all the learned men at my father's court came to expect my visits, lending me their best books. They called me the well of knowledge. For I strove to understand all history and everything I could about the world. Before Cyrus, there's John here. John, stand up and let him see the shirt. Come right here. <laughs> all right, all right. Those are the five Ps. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. All right, all right. His college buddy designed that. And Cyrus used it. Before Cyrus ever sought for others to understand him, he set about the task of understanding others and their cultures. So as he said, when he was a young boy growing up, he would go to all of the wise men in his father's kingdom, and they would give him their very best books. They would give him their best knowledge. And he began to learn there was something on the inside calling him. Even before he knew about the prophecy, he had this great weight of anointing and calling upon his life. He knew that he was going to have to do something great one day, and he began to prepare himself by learning all that he could about the world. And Cyrus constantly did drills and hunted, and he outdid all of his peers in enduring hardship when he was growing up. He worked hard, and as an adult, Cyrus worked and prepared while others parted. When his other relatives, they would conquer in the book, 
and they would be celebrating. Cyrus would set his mind on the next battle and they would be preparing. They would say it's good that we won this one, but the next one might have some extra difficulties and they never stop preparing themselves. This is another quote from Cyrus. It says, if an army is to win through to victory, it has to spend all its time helping itself or hurting its foe. Therefore, an army should never be idle. Think about how much idle time we spend today on social media or television. Cyrus, he won battle after battle, but he never became idle. He said we either have to be making ourselves better or hurting our enemies. We should never be idle. And he and his men, they rehearsed their strategies so many times preparing that when they got to the battlefield, it was just instinct for them to call out the formations and them to go and act. And they didn't have to hesitate. They didn't have to be fearful. They were able to move in confidence because they knew they'd done it over a thousand times the same way. Cyrus understood that you can have the best vision, the best strategy, the best plans, but if you don't execute, all is lost. He understood seeing it in your mind is not doing it. Saying it with your mouth is not doing it. (laughs) Believing it in your heart is not doing it. Writing it with your hand is not doing it. Only doing it is doing it. (laughs) And he realized that when he was executing. He understood that your reputation and trust is built by executing. When his men saw him get them to success in the smaller battles, it gave them confidence and trust in him when he said, let's go fight this big enemy. They said, Cyrus told us we would be victorious at this small one. He told us we would be victorious at this medium-sized one. And he executed. Now we have faith and we'll follow him to go fight this big king. And he sought God before every major decision. He didn't go into a battle without seeking the creator. And just because God speaks to you, though, doesn't mean you'll hear him. He speaks all of the time to his children and we'll say, Lord, why didn't you warn me before I got in this state? He's always speaking and warning you and trying to guide you, but it doesn't mean that you hear him. The second part is, even if you hear him, it doesn't mean you're going to obey him. But Cyrus sought him, he heard him, and he obeyed. Lesson number three from Cyrus. Cyrus followed God's guidelines. Cyrus followed God's guidelines. And even in the prophecy, God said that he was going to guide Cyrus' actions and bless him. Many of you don't even know that God gave guidelines for the kings. They didn't do them so much, we don't even know they had guidelines. We know about the laws all of the people had, but no, he had a separate set of guidelines for the kings. And I'll read them to you. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 17. It's a New Living Translation. Starting at verse 16, it says, The king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord and he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself when he sits on the throne as king 
He must copy for himself this body of instruction on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. He must always keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. This regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he is above his fellow citizen. It will also prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way, and it will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. Raise your hand if you knew all of those things that the kings were supposed to do. You see how many hands are up? So people don't know it because they didn't do it. (laughs) And Solomon is considered the wisest man in the Bible. He was wise in judging the people, but he was not wise in keeping these commandments that God gave for kings. What did Solomon do? He disobeyed all three of the guidelines. See, God gave him three guidelines. Then on top of that, he said, write this thing and repeat it every day <laughs> so you won't forget it. You all haven't even heard it. <laughs> so Solomon was the wisest man and still didn't do what God said. So number one, Solomon collected 25 tons of gold each year. And God said, don't collect this wealth. A huge amount of money for a small nation like Israel. Then he said, don't have a lot of horses and don't go back to Egypt to get any. What did Solomon do? Solomon gathered 12,000 horses <laughs> and many countless chariots. And then he even went to Egypt to get some more horses. And he, <laughs> that was a whole separate thing of not to go to Egypt. Finally, with women, he said, don't have a lot of women. They'll throw y'all from me. What did Solomon do? <laughs> He married 700 wives and had 300 concubines. (laughs) And these women turned Solomon to other gods and caused him to be punished by God. Exactly what the guidelines told him would happen. He told them in the guidelines, these women will turn you away from me. These women serve other gods and they'll want you to give sacrifices and offerings to these other gods. He went and saw these beautiful women. Married for political reasons. And they turned him. He went and made offerings to other gods. With all of this wisdom. With a gift of wisdom. But he didn't follow the guidelines. That God had set for kings. Even King David as great as he was. God told him not to have all of these wives. David schemed. Saw a naked Bathsheba. And he schemed to go. And kill a man to get his wife Bathsheba. And he brought judgment on the nation. King Cyrus, which many Christians have never heard of, followed every one of these guidelines that the other kings didn't. Even though King Cyrus wasn't a Jew, he wasn't even under the law of the Jews. He only married one wife that he loved, stayed with them their entire lives. He accumulated only modest amounts of wealth and horses. And this is a quote from Cyrus himself. He says, yet however rich men may be, I observe they can't eat more than they have room for in their stomachs. They'd burst wide open if they did. As for all their golden garments, they'd be crushed to death if they tried to wear them all at once. 
That extra wealth means nothing but extra grief. For my part, I try to be faithful to the gods and I reach out my hands toward them in supplication. When I have more than I need, I give the excess to my friends. In helping my friends, I win their love or something quite close to it. And in return, I receive gratitude, fame, and even life itself. So my earthly glory grows and the grander it becomes, the lighter it is to bear. That's what King Cyrus said and did. Lesson number four from Cyrus is to be strategic. Be strategic. What is a strategy? Strategy involves a blueprint for gaining a competitive advantage or increasing your chances of success. It's not just a plan. A plan says here are the steps, while a strategy says here are the best steps. Strategy involves the why, while a plan is just focused on the how. Strategy is not tactics. Tactics are individual smaller steps that are short-term and limited in scope. Now, they can help you achieve the overall strategy or plan, but they're not the same as strategy. And Cyrus said he conquered far more by the force of his mental powers than the force of his physical powers. So he was quite a wise king and man. So one strategy to give you an example that Cyrus used, so once he set up this wide empire across all of that Middle East, he recognized, and this was 550 years before Jesus, he said that, you know, I got all of these kingdoms and I need to be able to communicate across them. How else will I be able to lead if they don't know what the king and leader said? It ain't like he had a cell phone or a regular phone. <laughs> you didn't have telegrams back then. So he looked at how can I communicate? And he created a system that became a predecessor of our postal system today. So with his wisdom, he rode a horse for an entire day. And he marked the distance that that horse could ride on a day. And then he took that distance and marked it out all over his kingdom and put outposts so that when he needed to send a message to any part of the kingdom, they would be able to go from outpost to outpost, riding full speed by horse. And he set up the early forms of that postal system 550 years before Christ. You can see the strategy of Cyrus of why he was so great, why he was so wise, and why his kingdom endured for so long. Here's another example of how Cyrus used strategy. All of the kings of that day, not just the biblical king, but all the kings accumulated all of this wealth. And one day this other king came and saw Cyrus' great kingdom and he'd heard about Cyrus. And he said, man, I thought you was going to have a lot more wealth than this. You know, you're the greatest king on the planet and yet you don't have all of this wealth built up. He was older than Cyrus. So he said, the one piece of advice I can give you is you need to store up this wealth like all those other kings. And Cyrus told him, he said, how much do you recommend I store up? And the guy wrote a figure. So he said, this is what I will do. Cyrus sent a servant out. And Cyrus said, I've made my governors and my other leaders wealthy. He sent a servant out to survey the people that were under him that he'd made wealthy. 
He said that I need to make this conquest. What can you give towards the efforts? And the servant went out and wrote down the amounts from all of the people that Cyrus had made wealthy as his allies and those working under him. And when he came back, he told them to total it up. And when he totaled it up with what they were willing to give, it was much more than what the other king had recommended that he store up for himself. And Cyrus said, listen, I can sleep at night because if I had more stored up than any other king, every nation would be after me to take it. But what I've done is made my allies rich and they think it's their own and they would risk their very lives and that of their families to protect what they consider their own. But he said, at any time I can go and call it forth, but I can sleep at night. I don't have to pay anybody to guard it. They're guarding it for free. They got the children guarding their money. (laughs) And then he said, they're not jealous of me because they don't see all of this stuff. So nobody is trying to take over my kingdom. And when the king saw, he said, oh, how wise thou art, King Cyrus. These were just some of the strategies as examples that he used. Lesson number five, King Cyrus, to have clear vision. Cyrus said, in quotes, I began daydreaming about winning a universal empire, for there was something in me that would not rest until I fulfilled a grand destiny. Thus, I created an empire in my thoughts long before I began to win an empire in reality. Cyrus, from a very young age, had a vision from God even before he knew about the prophecies that he would have this empire. And he had to even not tell some of the other leaders about it because they thought it was so outrageous and so crazy. But he had this empire in his mind even before he started to build it. And I want you to just to close your eyes right now. And in your imagination's eye, just imagine yourself in the future, in the role that God has said you can be in. See what kind of people you are around. See in your mind's eye what kind of attire you are wearing. See yourself operating at your highest potential in what God has called you to do. See in your mind's eye how you are inspiring others that are around you in this position. Now open your eyes. Do you feel any different? Can you feel the power of vision? Imagine if you did this every morning when you woke up, every night when you went to sleep. Cyrus had a clear vision of why he was born, what he was called to do, and he kept it in his mind's eye. He knew what he was going for. When he got tired, the why kept him going. When others tried to discourage him, the why kept him going and motivated it. You've got to know your why. Create your own vision for your life instead of letting others limit you. And I read a quote the other day that I thought was so insightful. And it said, it never ceases to amaze me. We all love ourselves more than other people, but care more about their opinion than our own. (laughs) See, we all love ourselves more than other people, but we care more about their opinion more than our own. And sometimes we let the vision of others guide our lives because we don't have a vision for ourselves. Cyrus said this in quotes, What angers me are all those kings who are fabled for heaps of gold in their coffers and their freedom from trouble and pain. 
He said, I have a different vision. I say that the true leader shuns luxury and ease. Once in power, he should want to work harder than ever. And hearing the vision and hearing the wisdom of this man, now you can see why so many leaders studied him, why he was so great, why God called him as a child. Sometimes it's easier to know what you don't want than to know what you do want. If you ask somebody what type of romantic partner do you want, sometimes they'll stumble and won't know exactly. But if you ask them, give me some traits that you definitely don't want now. Nine times out of ten, they can start rattling off. I don't want them to cheat on me. I want them to, you know, listen to me. They can rattle off some things that they don't want. So, yeah, so sometimes if you define clear enough some things you don't want, it'll help bring into perspective some things that you do. Lesson number six is to help others. Cyrus helped God's people. The Jews and all his allies and people in his kingdom, Cyrus helped. He was so good to others that when armies would fight against Cyrus, they would not fight with all of their might because they knew in the back of their mind that even if Cyrus beat us, he's such a good leader and such a good king that even if he conquers us, we will be under the most awesome leadership on this planet. And they wouldn't even fight all the way out because they knew Cyrus was such a good king. Another quote from Cyrus. I don't even like to paraphrase him because he was so wise. I like to just read his original words. He says, success always calls for greater generosity. Though most people lost in the darkness of their own egos, treated as an occasion for greater greed. Only those who serve the people deserve to rule the people. Imagine if our current leaders would take these principles from Cyrus and use it today. Lesson number seven is to partner with the right people. Partner with the right people. Cyrus partnered with one nation to enlarge his soldiers. He partnered with another to give him horses and chariots. He partnered with another to give him nearby forts to his enemy. He used strategic alliances that benefited both the other party and himself for his crusade. He was very strategic in choosing partners. And he said, this is another quote. He says, I felt compelled to let God speak. And then he says, your leader is only one man. He said, I heard my voice say. So it was like almost the spirit was speaking through Cyrus, because he said, I felt compelled to let God speak. And then he began to speak and said, I heard my voice say. So it was like he didn't contrive this ahead of time that God was speaking through him and he was hearing it just as the other people. And this is what he said. He said, your leader is only one man. His strength is no more supernatural than your own, nor is his virtue. And by himself, he can never preserve the good things that belong by right to everyone. To govern well, he must have your help, the help of his true, trustworthy friends. You must forever be worthy of his trust, and you must raise up true friends of your own to help you carry your own burdens. And it is love that must bind all of us together. Cyrus, so wise. Lesson number eight, the final one. 
to set an example. Set an example. Another quote from Cyrus. He said, leaders must always set the highest standard. In a summer campaign, leaders must always endure their share of the sun and the heat. And in winter, the cold and the frost. In all labors, leaders must prove tireless if they want to enjoy the trust of their followers. And he went on to say, I vowed that my followers would learn more from my own example than from any legal code or set of regulations. As important to the people as written laws may be, the leader serves as a living law. He not only acts as a competent guide, but also functions as a wise judge, detecting and punishing those who fail to serve the people with justice and honesty. So Cyrus, he said, I don't want to rule by just these written decrees and laws. He said, I want my life to be a living example to you of what I want you to do in this kingdom. Imagine if all of our senators and mayors and governors and presidents, imagine if they set laws based on them being the prime example of these laws. Imagine if they use their own life to demonstrate it, where you didn't have to have lawyers to just to go through and comb out and look at all these loopholes and all of these things, but you could look at a living life to have it demonstrated before your eyes. And this is even important to us as parents. My sons, they kind of shocked me one day as they were teenagers. and I wish I'd have known this earlier, but they told me, they said, Daddy, if we would have heard you curse one time in anger, they said we would have cursed in school from that day on. Because they said everybody in school is cursing. They said everybody is cursing. We're the only ones we know. But they said when whenever we get to curse, we think about it. I've never heard my daddy curse. And they said if I just heard you slip one time, it would have justified it in our minds. And said, well, daddy got mad and did it. Now I can blend in with everybody. I can be cool like everybody else. I said, ooh, I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> but it just showed me, it hit me hard to show the power. And I never knew my words would have had that kind of impact. I would have figured I could have slipped one or two times. And said, oh, I messed up there. I just got hot-headed. They said, if we would have heard you do it one time, we would have kept doing it from that day on and rationalized it in our minds. So we thank Cyrus for his leadership that even though He was not a Jew. He upheld the standards of God's for kings even better than the ones we're familiar with. We thank him for setting God's people free, for giving them the resources to rebuild God's temple. For God called him by name. He knows your name. He knows your purpose. And he has empowered you to make a change and a difference in this earth. We hope some of the leaders of this land at all levels would hear these lessons from Cyrus and enact them on our land today. Thank you for tuning in to Brothers of the Word. You can go to brothersoftheword.com and hear this message in its entirety. If you know some Congress people, some mayors, even the president, the one that's in there and the one that's coming, you can send it to them. We all need these lessons from Cyrus. God bless you.
You are listening to BrothersOfTheWord.com. This was the sermon titled, Lessons from Cyrus, by James Bronner. This sermon is number 8254, that's 8254. To listen to thousands of free sermons or to send this sermon number 8254 to a friend, go to BrothersOfTheWord.com. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to IWantToGive.com. That's IWantToGive.com. Listen to BrothersOfTheWord.com often because, brother, you need the Word. Brothers of the Word.